Wyatt decides it's time to go, so he tries to climb up back on his horse, but he has got some problems, because his gun belt has slipped down around his ankles. <laughs> you're, you're joking. No, he literally starts to get on his horse, he's like, oh shit, damn it. <laughs> wow, this literally just went from like, they tend to Yuma to like, Abbott and Costello. Yeah, to Looney Tunes. <laughs> It's, it's something to do with the Earps. Like, they're always tripping and falling on their face. Or, uh-oh, my gun belt fell off. <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we talk about dead people. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here, kinda, with my good friend and co-host, George. Say hi, George. Howdy, partner. George is calling in today, so his audio quality is going to be kind of garbage, but uh, he'll be with us here, here with us in uh, spirit and in uh, low quality. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down various members of the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I... James, my God, he's not here! Oh, sorry. To everybody who's new, James is my old co-host. Truly, he casts a long shadow. <laughs> yeah, it's because he's eight feet tall. So the way this works is that George and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account of the major events in the life of a now dead person and give a fairly accurate, accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're gonna try anyway. So James, oh my god, so George, who, who do we have this week? Well, Aaron, this week we're starting part two of the deep dive into the absolute backwards fucking pageantry of Wyatt Earp's absolutely <laughs> asinine existence. I couldn't have said it better myself. Guys, if you missed part one, go back and listen because it is insanely it's insanely bad how do, how bad this dude was. Um, yeah. It's about time we got to work on, a, on that cowboy who did nothing again. So, shall we hurry on down to the history lab and start tearing him apart again? Sounds like another kind of lab, but I'll bite. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you down on my phone, okay? Because I know you can't walk because you're just a, literally a phone right now. I am the future. Wyatt Earp Part 2 Electric Boogaloo Join us as we continue the tale of perhaps the West's most pathetic cowboy to ever walk the dusty plains. So, George, if you had to commit suicide to appease the billionaires, what method would you use and where would you do it? Well, Aaron, to answer that question, which <laughs> obviously has no bearing at all on current events, I think I'd have to go the Vince Foster route and shoot myself in the back of my head. <laughs> And where? I think at Chuck. Yeah, where? I think at Chuck E. Cheese. I would like to yeah. be at the Mechanical Rat Child Casino for eternity. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. So tell me, Aaron, how would you commit suicide? <laughs> to appease the billionaires? Uh, let's see. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd probably, uh, and this is all air quotes. How would you? How would I commit suicide? I think it'd be cool to like get attacked by a bear and like let the bear kill me, and then the billionaires would all be like, "Ah, he got killed by the massive bear," and I would definitely do it in uh, in uh, 
on Epstein's Island. That's the easy one. <laughs> you know, I think I think I might have a little bit less of a burning hatred for the pedophilic billionaire elites if they arrange things like bear attacks instead of prison <laughs> hangings. It would at least be interesting. Oh, man. Uh, maybe we should briefly just talk about that just a tiny bit because the show is called We Talk About Dead People. And, what? uh... What? What? Or is he dead? Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's a conspiracy theorist now. It's I'm just, just asking questions here. I know, but that's uh, that's dangerous. Don't ask questions, George. <laughs> you, you crazy person. You're crazy. <laughs> he definitely killed himself with his bed sheets that were literally made of paper because he was in a suicide watch zone. Definitely. Uh, okay, enough of that. <laughs> Computer, please bring up Wyatt Earp again. Affirmative, my lord. So, tell me, Aaron, what is Wyatt Earp best known for? Bonus points if you can sum it up in one rude epithet. One rude epithet? I don't know. I don't know if there's, like, a, an epithet strong enough. <laughs> rude enough. <laughs> rude enough, yeah. Um, we already know what he's best known for. Wyatt Earp was best known for shooting people at the OK Corral. You were there for the whole episode, so thanks for asking. Bold of you to assume I was listening. That's fair. Well, if you're joining us for part two and you actually listen to part one, you already know uh, what Wyatt Earp looks like. Um, he also lo he looks like he cared about his mustache way too much. But now that we're all focusing on Wyatt Earp's later life, just imagine a giant mustache but a little older. I'm feeling a little bit attacked by the... Uh the direction of this conversation, but I'm going to pretend this isn't a, isn't about me. Just because I can't, you know, grow a proper mustache, I have to make fun of those who can. It's the only way to get through life without wanting to die. <laughs> well, if that's what you got to do, I guess that's what you got to do. Whatever it takes, right? Okay, so let's move into Wyatt Earp Part 2. So, when we left Wyatt Earp, he was erping around in Tombstone, Arizona in Part 1. We covered all the events leading up to the police-sponsored mass shooting at the OK Corral at the hands of corrupt lawman and major tool Wyatt Earp. We talked about the absolute depth of the corruption out there and how Wyatt Earp and his brothers were basically running everything, banning guns for everyone except, of course, themselves, using their guns to shoot people in the back, and pretty much murdering people who wouldn't go their way. If you haven't listened to part one, start there, because it's bad. <laughs> Alternatively, spend a weekend in Baltimore. True. <laughs> but when we ended last week, we were just about to dive into what's called Wyatt Earp's Vendetta Ride. This is the section of Earp's life that is so bad it's almost funny. But this is coming off of the revenge killing of Wyatt's brother Morgan at the hands of Wyatt. Uh, I'm sorry, at the hands of those who Wyatt believed were relatives of the men they killed at the OK Corral. And we are also talking about the ambush and injury of Wyatt Earp's other brother, uh, and Town Marshal Virgil. So, let's back up a bit to just before Morgan Earp was killed. Wyatt Earp and his ilk are getting written daily threats on a daily basis, or at least that's what they're saying. And honestly, deservedly so. Uh, Wyatt, the whole Earp family had just been poking the bear of the rowdy cowboys for years at this point, and now that's gone and killed a bunch of them. So it, uh, it seems like a tipping point has been reached. So Wyatt requests an appointment uh, as a deputy U.S. Marshal for Pima County in Marshall, fr uh, from Marshall Crawley, 
Dake. And Dake grants him this appointment, and Wyatt begins forming a posse. I think this just reinforces the point I made last time about how everyone had just obscenely either hilarious or cool names in the Old West. I'm honestly not sure if Crawley Dake is more on the cool or the hilarious side, but I'm confident it's one of them. <laughs> I agree with you there. Crawley Dake is actually... Okay, last week we, <laughs> we discovered a, a prostitute whose real name was uh, Horony Cummings. That was her real name. Um, and we were talking about names and how uh, they're more often than not ironic. And there's one guy we uh, named today who you're just going to love. We'll get there. So Wyatt deputizes... Um, well, he, okay, so he requests uh, uh, appointment as a deputy U.S. marshal. And he gets it, so he starts forming a revenge posse. And he deputizes his brother Warren, that man of mystery we talked a lot about last week, Doc Holliday, Sherman McMaster, Jack Turkey Creek Johnson, Charlie Smith, Daniel Tipton, and some dude named John Vermillion who was nicknamed Texas Jack. Wait, is this the same... Oh, fuck, never mind. I, um... I, had, I thought I had a joke for one of the names, but then I realized it didn't work. <laughs> edit, edit that out. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll edit that out. So the, there, that's a list of, of most of the people. Um, there were a whole bunch of, you know, normie anons who were in it. Um, and they, uh, they, uh, they don't get names because they just kind of dropped in and out of the quest. They were like, you know, they were, they thought it was cool for a while. And then they were like, I want to go home and, Live in my mom's basement again. So it's kind of like those weird NPCs in uh, in Mountain Blade that are always like leaving and joining your party, and you're always finding them and losing them. And yeah, and they don't like you because they don't because you hired someone that they don't <laughs> like, and they're like, fire him or I'll leave. And so you're like, fine. Um, hold on, I'm I'm getting a call. Okay, I'm back. You're back. Mark that. Yeah, baby got back. Wow, was that really? No. Okay, 12 minutes. Call from Adam. <sighs> do, 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 do. Okay, where were we? Uh, we were talking about uh, Mountain Blade NPCs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that game. I hope I never play it again. It'll suck away another two weeks of my life. Just wait, so, for, wait for Bannerlord, man. It's coming. <sighs> oh, my God. It's coming. <laughs> I know. So, okay. Wyatt paid this crew $5 a day a piece to ride with him. And what was his selection criteria, you may be asking? They had to be good at Mountain Blade. No, <laughs> they had to be good with weapons, and they had to be good at killing people. That's it. And at least one of them needed to have the perk that let you siege cities more easily. Yeah. <laughs> or that perk in, uh, in Fallout where you can, if once you empty your AP meter, if you get a kill in VATS, you can immediately refill your AP and do it again. So anyway, most of these people were criminals too, as you might have guessed, because everybody's a criminal in the Old West. McMaster was indeed a Texas Ranger, but he was also allegedly a stagecoach robber and had worked with the men they were pursuing, meaning he was a turncoat. I'm getting kind of a, a theme here with the, the <laughs> nature of law and order in the Old West. Yeah, it was, it was a shit show to say the least. Um, so Jack Johnson, or Turkey Creek as he was known, uh, he was known for being involved in a shootout in Missouri that readily sullied his reputation. 
His brother Bud had murdered a guy in Arizona, and Jack Johnson, Turkey Creek, had written to Wyatt Earp asking for a pardon, which Wyatt granted on the assumption that Jack Johnson would go on the Vendetta ride with him. So, literally pardoning murderers <laughs> to get another murderer to go on your murder ride. I'm also a little bit confused how Wyatt Earp is granting pardons, being a deputy U.S. Marshal. That's something you need a federal judge for. Yeah, so Wyatt, Wyatt didn't actually, like, get it for him, but he, he, like, basically went to the judge and was like, yo, like, you like me, right? And the guy's like, yeah, he's like, free my boy, bud. And he, he's like, okay, so he did. Um, and then now, uh, now Mr. Turkey Creek, Mr. Whiskey, um, now he's riding with, with Wyatt. <laughs> Wild Turkey Creek. So Charlie Smith was a known gunfighter. Daniel Tipp was a former Union Navy man in the Civil War and a legendary gambler. Legendary because he lost tons of money all the time. Texas Jack was a former Confederate cavalryman and expert gunfighter. So these are not just lawmen or whatever. These are guys with criminal histories, military experience that have now been deputized as actual lawmen to ride with Wyatt on a killing spree on the dime of the taxpayer. Marshal Dake, the man who had granted Wyatt Earp permission to form this posse, borrowed $3,000 from where? Wells Fargo. The company that Wyatt worked for. They were involved in the shootout at the OK Corral as well. Dake promised to have the federal government pay back the debt um, to, uh, to Wells Fargo, which it did, even though it was later revealed that Dake actually blew all the money the government gave him on gambling and prostitutes. Or not the government, but Wells Fargo gave him on gambling and prostitutes. So essentially the government paid for Marshall Dake to go get, you know, go screw some hookers and lose it all on a, you know, a pharaoh bet or whatever. So that's the support our heroes have on this vendetta ride. Money from Wells Fargo... Uh, paid back by the government that was actually spent on uh, liquor and girls. Are you so telling? Wyatt are you telling me that there are unethical entanglements between the government and banking <laughs> institutions? No, Aaron, that I, sounds like a conspiracy theory, dude. If we weren't on a watch list, we are now, and we're also going to kick down the door midway through the episode. <laughs> oh, man. It's funny, though, when reading into this uh, around this time when everyone's getting into conspiracy theories, to see how old this is. Like, this is the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Um, and I, just reading about it, I laugh because I'm like... Holy shit, it's a tale as old as time. It's just people usurping the systems to get liquor and women. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, remember back in the good old days before, like, conspiracy theories were actually relatively mainstream? Back when you had to go on, like, text-only sites on Angel Fire to hear, yeah. to hear some man's, like, demented ramblings about lizards and the Federal <laughs> Reserve and aliens. You know what? I'm Pepperidge Farmer members. I remember those days. Those were nice. That was like, but literally yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yeah. Um, everybody, like Twitter turned into Alex Jones. <laughs> and it was absolutely freaking hilarious. Uh, okay, so anyway. Wyatt Earp 
obtained the necessary arrest warrants from a judge, Judge William H. Stillwell, an ironic name, as we will see. Um, and the boys hit the trail, and their first stop is Charleston, Arizona, a known hideout for Ike Clanton, Finn Clanton, and Pony Deal. That was a nickname. I don't actually remember his real first name, but Pony. <laughs> um, however, the Cowboys have early warning. A man named Johnny Ring of this coming invasion, that is, by the, uh, by the government. Um, a man named Johnny Ringo, who had been jailed for a bank robbery, posted bail and rode to Charleston to warn the Cowboys of the coming storm. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah, I just love, I love how throughout this whole story, it's like the Cowboys versus the law, and I'm like on the side of the Cowboys most of the time. <laughs> Retweet if you would post bail and ride to Charleston to warn the Cowboys of the coming government storm with your followers. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm not sure how it worked exactly, probably corruption, but he posted bail and was freed before the money even arrived. Wow. And I, here I was thinking the government was inefficient. Well, there's this sheriff uh, named Sheriff Bahan. Remember him? The guy who said that the Cowboys killed at the OK Corral didn't actually have any guns when Wyatt Earp opened a fire on them. Sh okay. OK, Sheriff Alex Jones, spreading your theories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's that guy. Um, he Sheriff Bahan uh, freed Ringo before the bail payment came, likely because he really believed that Wyatt Earp had actually gone off the deep end and was planning to murder murder the Cowboys, just like he had the McLaurys and friends over at the OK Corral. So Ringo delivers this warning ahead of the uh, Vendetta posse. He basically outruns them. He's like, guys, they're coming. Um, which the Vendetta Posse had just added 30 hired guns before leaving Tombstone. So they're getting pretty big. And you've got Doc Holliday, who's a known killer, just absolutely, yeah, it's, it's not good for the Cowboys. So when the Posse arrives in Charleston, they arrest a man named Ben Maynard, basically because he lives in the town and knows the Cowboys. He's like standing around outside the town, they're like, hey! Do you know any McLaurys or, or Clantons? And he's like, yeah, I think I know a Clanton. And they're like, you're under arrest. <laughs> so they use him as a front man uh, as they occupy Charleston and go door to door looking for marks. He would like knock on the door and they would be like, he would be like, it's Ben Maynard. Open up. And then they would open up and then it would actually be Wyatt Earp. So do you know how big of a how big of a town we're talking about with Charleston here? Uh, fairly small. Um, so, it's like, so if they've got, you know, 40 roughly people here, they're basically absolutely unstoppable in terms of, you know, this tiny town, because it's, they're literally yeah. an occupying army. Right. So the town, the way it worked back then was that, uh, people would move in, they would settle the land a little bit and they would have camps and uh, checkpoints and junctions and that sort of thing. That's what they were called. And then as they grew, they would be labeled towns and then, you know, cities and all that, all that stuff. So not a big place only had just recently graduated to town. Um, but so they're going to door to door and they don't have much luck. Thanks to Ringo's warning. Um, but neither does Ringo because they catch him and rearrest him first. So he just hung around. Yeah, he basically was like, I guess I'll just stay here and wait. <laughs> um, so they discovered that the Clantons and Deal uh, had, in, had heeded Ringo's warning and indeed left town. 
So a day after arriving, they start scouting the countryside around Charleston, looking for possible clues and trails to follow. Finding nothing, they go to a camp called Pick Em Up and arrest a man named Sherman McMaster for the alleged crime of stealing a couple of horses from a mine. Um, and he'll come up later. So they take him back to Tombstone, where he makes bail and moves into a room with Charlie Smith, one of the guys on the, on the team. And everybody's just kind of living out of hotels these days. Um, at least these guys are. Like, Wyatt Earp just, like, lives in a hotel. Because that's where all the women and booze is. Um, Classic. Anyways. Yeah, exactly. Classic lawman. Meanwhile, Ike and Finn Clanton are arrested by someone who is not Wyatt Earp, just a Wells Fargo agent, nothing to see, nothing to see here, and jailed at Tombstone. They had been served with a warrant for armed robbery, but uh-oh! The warrant was actually revealed to them later when they were already under arrest for the attempted murder of Virgil Earp. When Ike learns that not only Ver not only that, um, that not only uh, Virgil Earp has been shot by persons unknown, um, but had indeed survived, he pulls an O.J. Simpson and tells an if I'd have done it story. So they're like, uh, you know, you blew Virgil Earp's shoulder off. He was like, no, I didn't. If I'd attacked him, he'd be dead. <laughs> Absolute legend. I know. Uh, plus, Ike Clanton had five witnesses saying that he had been hanging out with... The, uh, hanging out with them in Charleston during the time of the shooting and couldn't possibly have done it. So the charges are dropped due to lack of evidence. And if you'll remember last week, we talked about how they found, they found Ike Clanton's hat at the scene of the crime. Um, it's like, you're a cowboy. You don't lose your hat. Well, I take back everything I said. My system or my faith in the system is completely restored and seeing that they have in fact dropped the charges due to lack of evidence. It, the, with the trajectory we were going, that didn't seem like it would pose any issue. So I take it all back. <laughs> God bless America. Take it all back. <laughs> so Wyatt Earp and Judge Stilwell then decide it's time to stop arresting people and just start shooting them. Because if the law and order can't prevail legally, then law and order must be enforced illegally. It totally makes sense if you're a corrupt sack of shit. So, Judge, like I said, uh, there's like literally a quote of Judge Stilwell saying, you're never going to get this town cleaned up, Wyatt Earp, unless you start shooting them and stop arresting them. And Wyatt Earp's like, hell yeah, man, I'm going to start shooting people. Thanks, Judge. <laughs> so after being freed, Ike Clanton refiled murder charges against the Earps and Doc Holliday for the murder of his brother and the McLaurys. Because the first time he tried it, it didn't work. And the second time he tried it, it didn't work again. Um, these charges were also dismissed as well uh, due to lack of evidence. Ike Clanton is such a sad boy. <laughs> one like equals one prayer. Yep. <laughs> like, rate, and subscribe, everybody. So the Earps and their posse go on the hunt again. This time going directly after Pony Deal. Um, but they couldn't find him, so they went home. Uh, where they begin to hear more rumblings about the cowboy revenge. So is home Tombstone? Tombstone, yeah. Presumably a seedy hotel therein. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're at the point where the cowboys do get a little revenge. This is the part where Morgan Earp gets killed by a shot to the spine while playing billiards on a Saturday evening. Um, and we kind of left off there. Uh, this, was, this was before the Vendetta ride really got rolling. Um, but this was the final nail in the coffin. Wyatt Earp was like, I'm going to fucking get these guys. But let's talk about the murder of uh, Morgan Earp first before we get into that, okay? So, the coroner who was handling the body began a little investigation to try and figure out who killed Morgan. He 
He starts interviewing witnesses and townspeople, largely those connected to the Cowboys. He finds a trail with a man named Pete Spence, whose wife Marietta breaks down and says that her husband and a few other men were the ones behind the assassination. And who were these other men? Well, you had a guy named Frank Stilwell. Not sure if he was related to the Judge Stilwell. If he was, that's kind of fucked up. We had Hank Swilling, Florentino Cruz, and of course, Pete Spence. Marietta would later testify that her, uh, her husband, along with all these other guys, came to her house the night of the murder and were totally worked up. And of course, the next morning, Pete Spence said he told her he'd have to hurt her if she told anyone what she saw. Um, so when word of this gets out, Pete Spence goes directly to Behan's jail and surrenders out of fear of Wyatt's retaliation. Because remember, Wyatt's not waiting for juries. Um, so Pete Spence is like, fuck it, you know. I'm going to go turn myself in and at least get the protection of a jail cell. To the other faction of law enforcement. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the other suspects are all brought in on the ch uh, on char murder charges, but the charges are dismissed and they're all released. Don't know why. Uh, mainly it was because uh, uh, Marietta Spence couldn't uh, testify against her husband in court. Um and also, she didn't have any real proof. They didn't really talk about what they'd just done. They just came in and they were, like, all worn out. Yeah, even um, even up. in this system, being, you know, worked up isn't quite enough for a capital crime charge. Yeah, so it, it, it was all dismissed. And, you know, you look at it and you're like, I really don't know if they did it or not. But we'll, we're going we're gonna to get deeper into this here. So when, uh, when the charges are dismissed and the boys are all freed, Wyatt's Earp... Oh, Wyatt Earp's uh, blood begins to boil. He's watched these guys be repeatedly charged with murder, only to have the charges dropped due to lack of evidence. And several of these guys on the uh, who are being charged had been charged before with murder and assault and all that stuff in different counties and different cities, and all the charges were dropped there. So he's like, he feels strongly now that there's no way he's going to get justice inside the legal system. Ah, uh, yes, that finely, finely honed sense of justice and decency that we've seen from Wyatt Earp up to this point. Really must be eating him up inside, the, the humanity of it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real, though. He renews his vow for revenge and immediately goes to Tucson the day after Morgan's murder. Wyatt Earp had intel, basically saying that Ike Clanton, Frank Stilwell, and Hank Swilling were basically waiting for the Earps in Tucson. Like, they're just watching passenger trains come in and uh, searching them, just looking for Virgil Earp. They're waiting for him to come into town because they want to get revenge because he was part of a cabal that ended up killing a bunch of cowboys. And Virgil is coming, but he's coming in hot because he knows they're there. Wyatt Earp, Virgil Earp, Warren Earp, Doc Holliday, Jack Johnson, and Sherman McMaster board a tri Sherman McMaster, the guy that they arrested earlier for robbing the horses. Yeah, the one who was uh, living with one of the uh, one of the posse members after he got out of jail, right? Yeah, Charlie. Um, so now he's working with them. <laughs> it's so weird. So anyway, they all get on a train, armed to the teeth with pistols, rifles, and shotguns. McMaster himself was strapped with multiple bandoliers of ammunition. And when the train arrived in Tucson, the squad spotted Stillwell and his buddies on the arrival platform, and they were also armed to the teeth. But this is not the place or time, and there's civilians around, so the boys, the cowboys that is, go all Assassin's Creed and fade away into the crowd. 
Plus, they weren't expecting Virgil to have an armed company of men with him, so the plan's got to change. <laughs> You're not ready to have an all-out battle on a train platform. Once again, like, pleasantly surprised by the decency. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, they, they're just like, nah, we're not going to shoot him now. And this story gets really fucked up real fast. So they're ready for the Earps. They know that the Earps are coming. Um, and they're like, we're going to defend ourselves against these guys. Um, you know, I don't see it as they were waiting to assassinate Virgil Earp. I see, I see it as like they were waiting for Virgil Earp to come assassinate them, and they were just going to defend themselves. I think that's a pretty reasonable way to put it. So Virgil and his wife Allie stay in Tucson uh, with, and they've got they've got their gang there with them. But the, he and his wife uh, go to dinner together at the local hotel, of course, and then they get back on the train to go home. And this is where things get kind of dicey. Um, this is the official narrative. They got back on the train to go home, and then they heard gunfire. And nobody knows what's happening. It's nighttime, and the Earps can't even figure out who's a target. So, at this point, they're actually not on the train anymore. So my assumption is that they heard the gunfire and they went out to check it out. Um, but uh, it's possible they didn't ever get on the train at all. They just got to the station and the boys were waiting there for them. So, <clears throat> Wyatt Earp finds uh, uh, Stillwell and I possibly Ike Clanton, we don't know for sure, lying prone on a flat car, taking shots at him. And Wyatt apparently just sort of walks up to him, so they get up and run away. But Wyatt Earp reports that Frank Stillwell tripped. Well, not so. Here's what really happened, and this, was, this is all in the coroner's report. Wyatt Earp shot the fleeing man in the leg as is made evident by the buckshot uh, that the coroner would later find in his leg. So Frank's down. Uh, Wyatt walks up to him as he's trying to scramble away and holds him at gunpoint. Wyatt has a shotgun to the wounded Frank's head, and you'd think this would be the time to arrest the man, but no. Wyatt Earp blasts Frank Stillwell right in the chest with his shotgun at point-blank range. I bet he turned his body cam off, too. Yeah. <laughs> man, Sith's gonna love you. Um, so that's, that's only the half of it, though, because it would later be shown in evidence that Frank Stillwell's pistol had not been fired at all that night. The plot thickens. Yeah, so the whole Wyatt Earp, like, getting shot at and then defending himself sounds a little like, uh, like the OK Corral again, doesn't it? Where Sheriff Bahan was saying, those boys weren't armed at all, you just went into the alley and killed them. Um, that's what happened here. I feared for my life. So Wyatt, of course, has a different version of the story. He claims that before he delivered the killing blow to Frank Stillwell, Frank basically flipped on all his friends and named names. But here's another fucking thing. The coroner reported that Stillwell had been shot by, count them, five different weapons. He had bullets and buckshot of all different varieties in his body. Witnesses reported seeing six to ten men standing around the wounded man just blasting away at the at him. Like, they saw Doc Holliday shooting him with a shotgun. Uh, they saw, um, you know, wh whoever else was there, they just saw a group of like six to ten men just shooting the guy on the ground. I can just imagine um, when the when the coroner gets there to take the body away and uh, just absolutely obliterated and Wyatt Earp's just like, uh, he tripped. Yeah, but for real though, uh, the coroner said it was the most shot-up corpse he had ever seen in his life. Um, the absolute state of that body was just awful. Um, bones were shattered, just 
really bad. So <clears throat> this legally implicates the entire Ert posse and the murder. Um, Tucson immediately sends out arrest warrants for Wyatt, Warren, Holiday, Jack Johnson, and Sherman McMaster. They are arrested, and Sheriff Behan requests government funding to bring the party back to Cochise. Cochise, yeah. Cochise County uh, for prosecution, but nobody does anything because all the sheriffs, except for Behan, refuse to serve the warrants. The party goes back to Tombstone and holds up in the Cosmopolitan Hotel. Of course, they're wanted men, so they have to be a bit sneaky about it. Sheriff Bob Paul of Pima County sends a telegram to Sheriff Behan asking him to serve the warrants. But the telegraph guy was uh, Wyatt Earp's friend. So he shows Wyatt the telegram first and gives the the Earps plenty of time to escape town before Behan gets the message. And this is why you need to use an encrypted messaging app, people. Yeah, Yeah, for real though. So it turns out it's still not warning enough, because that evening, as the Earp party is leaving the Cosmopolitan, they encounter Sheriff Behan and his deputies. Behan says, Wyatt, I want to see you. To which Wyatt answered, Johnny, if you're not careful, you'll sue me. Wait, I gotta do the Wyatt Earp voice. Johnny, if you're not careful, you'll sue me once too often. I kind of hoped you'd forgotten about that voice. No, Wyatt Earp is so annoying. I have to make him annoying for the people. They have to know. Um, so there's reports that Wyatt and his men already had their guns drawn and escaped that way. Either way, they got out of town, uh, with Bahan weakly attempting to arrest them the whole way out. He was, like, chasing them with a pair of handcuffs, and he, like, drops them. He's like, oh, no. Oh, fuck. I dropped. Hold on. Come back here. I'm, I'm gonna arrest you. And they're just, like, riding out of town, like, you won't do shit. <laughs> but Bahan's a big, uh, chest puffer. He, uh, the next day, waits till the next day, by the way, to form up a posse made up of his deputies, friends of Frank Stilwell and Ike Clanton and Johnny Ringo and others. This posse has a little over 20 riders in it, all ready to track down and, for real this time, really, for real, uh, arrest and prosecute this federally owned gang of murderers. So, the Earp Party, at this time, is nearing the Dragoon Mountains at P- uh, and Pete Spence's ranch. You remember Pete Spence? He was the guy who was accused and acquitted of murdering uh, Morgan Earp. Remember him? Yeah, with the wife who was the snitch. Yeah, <laughs> the snitch wife. Um, at about 11 in the morning, the Earps ride up on Pete Spence's ranch and demand to know where Pete and his buddy Florentino Cruz are. Uh, the man who met them, Theodore Judah, which is the most Mormon-sounding name I've ever heard in my life, um, basically pointed and said, They went that away. So the party rides off, and a couple minutes later, Theodore Judah hears a bunch of gunshots. And later on, I think the next day, he discovers Florentino Cruz's bullet-riddled corpse. So they didn't find Pete Spence. They did find Florentino Cruz. Ah, yes, the long dick of the law. <laughs> So Wyatt would later tell the story this way. Um, here's, here's, here's what Wyatt says. They captured Cruz, obtained a confession for the murder of Morgan Earp, and the names of all those involved. And then Wyatt killed him in a classic cowboy duel with a single shot. He's like, thank you for sharing the names, friend. How about we shoot it out? I want to give you a fighting chance. And so they square off, and of course Wyatt like quick draws and kills him. He's like, I'm so cool. I quick draw, quick drew my gun and, and shot Florentino Cruz. What a pussy. Shot the dog down, watched the dog fall. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's Wyatt's version of the story. Um, but here's the thing, we know it's all bullshit, because Cruz had four gunshot wounds, and one was to the side of the head. Maybe he fell on those bullets. <laughs> really? It's... Stop resisting. It's getting ridiculous. <laughs> so, meanwhile, uh, Bahan has arrested two of Earp's party while they were gathering money in Tombstone. Earp kept sending people back to Tombstone to, like, collect $1,000 he thought he was owed or, or something like that. Um, so two of these guys are there, and they're like, where's that thousand bucks? And then somebody's like, hey, you're with that Earp guy. You're under arrest. So they go to jail, but they post their bond immediately, and it's not like it would matter. All they would have to do is just suck Bahan off, and he'd let them go. So that's progress, I guess. <laughs> um, new arrest warrants are issued on this party, uh, on the party for this murder of Florentino Cruz. And the Earp Party does six rides of about 12 miles to Iron Springs, where they find nine marks already there. Um, Curly Bill, Pony Deal, Johnny Barnes, Frank Patterson, Milt Hicks, Bill Hicks, Bill Johnson, Ed Lyle, and Johnny Lyle. And uh, so they're, go they're like, let's go to Iron Springs. We heard that's where Pete, Pete Spence is. And they go out there, and they just run across nine of the people they're looking for. Um... I guess it seems like those people probably were gathered together either because they knew that Earp was going to come in safety numbers or they were gathered together to go try to find him and kill his ass. Yeah. Which, e either way, is perfectly justifiable in light of the circumstances. <laughs> Justified. Yep. Um, so they ride up on these guys, and Curly Bill's the first guy to see him, and he immediately opens fire. He's like, oh, fuck, there they are. Bang, 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 bang. Uh, and you might remember Curly Bill from last week. He's a guy that Wyatt had defended from a lynch mob. Um, but anyway, guns start going off and the fight is on. Wyatt Earp hits Curly Bill with a shot, a shotgun blast so brutal, it literally nearly blows him in half. Um, his body falls off its horse and right into the water, which is just disgusting. <laughs> um, Texas Jack's horse uh, gets killed, and that's the only fatality on Wyatt's side. And meanwhile, Wyatt Earp shoots Johnny Barnes in the chest and Milt Hicks through the arm. And even though the Earps are evening the odds here and kind of winning, Wyatt decides it's time to go. So he tries to climb up back on his horse, but he has got some problems because his gun belt has slipped down around his ankles. <laughs> you're, you're joking. <laughs> no, he literally starts to get on his horse. He's like, oh, shit, damn it. <laughs> wow, this literally just went from, like, they tend to Yuma to, like, Abbott and Costello. Yeah, to Looney Tunes. <laughs> it's it's something to do with the Earps. Like, they're always tripping and falling on their face. Or, uh-oh, my gun belt fell off. <laughs> oh, so funny. Um, and also, uh, also Wyatt's uh, saddle horn got shattered. That was recorded for some reason. Um, and there was this thing that, that happened where he had, like, 17 bullet holes in his clothing, and not a single thing hit him. He had, like, five or six in his hat alone. Like, people were going for the head, and they just couldn't hit him. This is pretty suspicious. Uh, have we uh, have we looked into an extraterrestrial angle? No, I, I haven't, but I'm just assuming those were, like, little wormholes that tiny aliens were coming out to tell him what to do. That wasn't where I was going with that, but, you know. Well, where were you going with it? Obviously he was a time traveler who was actually just using a projector 
to cast an image of himself there and they'd found a way to animate the clothing. So that's why the bullets were going right through, but just not doing anything because he's being projected from the mothership. <laughs> Wake the fuck up, samurai. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to work on the theory. There, there are some kinks, but you know what? I'm getting there. Yeah, well, there's some kinks in Wyatt Earp's story, so you're okay. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, so well, a couple speaking day- of which, wasn't I'm trying to remember from last week? Wasn't one of the prostitutes kind of suspiciously young? Uh, yes, Maddie. Okay, was, uh, I am now justified in saying what I've wanted to say this entire time, which is Wyatt Earpstein. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. Um. Oh yeah, and by the way. He would abandon her for that uh, for Josephine Sadie or whatever the one who was Behan's girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, yeah, the one who was Behan's girlfriend. Um, he w- he she stayed in L.A. and she waited for him for like seven years, waited for him to come back, and he didn't. So she basically became a opioid addict and a hooker again, and she ended up dying of suicide because he abandoned her because she had information on Wyatt Erpstein. I see. Yeah. <laughs> and it all comes back. It's all coming back around. So, uh, uh, a, f- a couple of days after more, or Wyatt Earps, uh, Wyatt Earps drops his panties, um, a couple of days later, the guys are alleged, are alleged to be responsible for the killing of Morgan Earp. Um, oh, man, I read that all wrong. Jesus Christ. A couple of days later, the guys who are alleged to be responsible for the killing of Morgan Earp are indicted, but the charges are dropped. Due to lack of evidence. Seems to be a common issue. Yeah, it seems to come up quite a bit. So Wyatt's party doesn't hear about this yet, but it's not like they would care anyway. Um, they're in Iron Spring gathering, uh, Iron Springs gathering support from locals. They've also got a couple of guys in Tombstone trying to raise money um, named Tom Craker and Whistling Dick Wright. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> That's his name, Whistling Dick. This is his nickname, but it was it was what people called him. Wow, Old West was amazing. Yeah, you know, you know that. Uh, I, well, I don't even want to get into it. I'm just gonna say that <laughs> you don't get a name like Whistling Dick for nothing. <laughs> you're like you're like either whistling so much that people call you a dick. Alternatively, you're a big fan of naked calisthenics, and the wind going around your dick as you're running actually is whistles because of how fast you're going <laughs> it's my theory and i'm sticking to it i like that theory the best <laughs> it's just a fast runner with a whistling dick oh man so uh, these that's like those guys are back in town trying to get that thousand dollars uh uh erp is always on about um so the party itself was spotted by a lawman at Henderson Ranch, but he doesn't have the guts to take on these trained killers, which is a pretty good call. So he hides. And aren't they also um, still technically lawmen, or have we? Yeah, but they're also like on. They're they've been charged with the murders, so they're they're like rogue agents basically. And he's like, I don't know if I can take this. It's too complicated. I'm weak. I'm only one guy. So yeah, he hides. Well, he's no Albert Johnson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Albert Johnson would run ten miles to meet them, <laughs> and just slap them with his massive dick, <laughs> dig a trench, and then ambush them from it. Yeah, run ten miles to them, dig a <laughs> trench, and then. <laughs> so the party was spotted by a lawman. Oh God, I just repeated a line. Holy! 
Meanwhile, Sheriff Behan and his posse are continuing to search for Wyatt and his men, but they're not having uh, uh, much luck. They cost the taxpayers $2,000, um, which I can't, I didn't, I didn't even do the calculation, but it's a lot. Um, they cost the taxpayers $2,000 for this, this inept chase of Wyatt Earp. The, uh, the Earps head to what's called Hooker Ranch, where they stop and rest for a while. Uh, which is appropriate for Wyatt Earp, Hooker Ranch, gotta say. As, as there's there's uh, a saying in Latin, Nomen Omen Est. The, <laughs> the name is a... an omen is a sign. Huh. Oh yeah, hey, that's a theme. Nomen Omen Est. And it rhymes. Yeah. Can't beat that. I'm gonna get that tattooed on my ass. Yeah. So, oh. <laughs> So yeah, they're at Hooker Ranch, and they're having lunch, and Wyatt Earp's eating his Subway and drinking his Yoo-Hoo, and he looks up to the horizon and spots none other than Sheriff Bahan and his posse of merry men. So he's like, all right, guys, like, wrap it up. We gotta get out of here, because, you know... And they're not in a hurry, because they know Bahan is completely inept. So they pack up and head to the uh, hills nearby to hide out, and this is why Bahan never catches the Earps, ever. Um, the Earps then leave Arizona territory, territory entirely to go to Albuquerque. Um, and by this time, their, uh, their, uh, their gang is shrinking. Uh, it doesn't have that 30-plus guys anymore. It's just, like, Doc Holliday and, you know, the classic names. Presumably when, they, know, when um, they no longer have, you know, the uh, unlimited resources of the federal government, it gets hard to keep that many people on the payroll. Yeah, it really does. So... Um, in Albuquerque, Doc Holliday... This is where Doc Holliday finally breaks up with Wyatt Earp because, Earp because he's sleeping with a Jewish woman. <laughs> if you remember in the last episode, he called him a damn Jew boy. <laughs> I do recall. <laughs> yeah. So Wyatt Earp and most of his gang goes to Colorado, and Doc Holliday and one other guy go to Denver. And it's literally because Doc Holliday doesn't like uh, Wyatt Earp's girlfriend. Um... So that's the end of that. Uh, the adventure is kind of coming to an end here. Um, it's not for long. I mean, Holiday ends up getting arrested for the murder of Frank Stillwell. Um, so Wyatt steps in and uses his corruption wizardry to get him out of the charges. And here's where Earp's story gets boring. So these are his post-Tombstone days. And this is what he does. This is what Wyatt Earp does um, for a living, for the rest of his life. So we're just going to blow through it to get to the main point and maybe a little bit of discussion here um, just to get the story out so we can start talking about like what all this means. So after all of his adventures in the Wild West... what What is that? Sorry, uh, somebody just drove by with a obnoxiously loud and yet probably anemically powered car. Okay. <laughs> that reminds me, that reminds me of that meme where it's literally nobody and it's honda civic owners at 3 a.m and it's uh just it just hit <laughs> the redlining rpms <laughs> yeah. that's hilarious so we're we're done with his adventures in the wild west pretty much um wyatt earp wanted to settle down and just return to the life he had before he killed those men at the okay corral that's right he wants to go back to being a fucking scammer wish we could turn back time to the good old days so his first scam is that he starts painting rocks gold and tries to sell it to people. Wow, this is this is a little... I'm going to say this is a little bit of a step down in criminality. We've basically yeah. <laughs> gone from, like, serial murder to, like, something you might smile at a four-year-old trying to do. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's no secret that there's there's you know there's gold rushes and stuff going on, and, you know, there's stupid people who don't know what gold looks like. And, I'll buy it, sure! And... 
you know, they later find I can out. just see him it's going fake. to the telegram office to send telegrams to random numbers about how he's their grandson and he's stuck in a prison. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's a prince of Nigeria. <laughs> Stop. I, hello, I am prince of Nigeria. Stop. Stop. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, later, he moves on to more honest work by managing a stable... But his crimes are still with him. It's like the first respectable job he's had in years. I mean, even when he was trying to join the army as a teenager, that was at least kind of respectable, I guess, maybe. Um, nothing? Nothing? I'm just giving you spaces to say things. I'm sorry. I feel like at this point, my um, anarchic tendencies are kind of beating a dead horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, calm down there. And you know what? You can't get anywhere managing a stable if you beat dead horses. That's true. <laughs> Look at that segue I just gave you. That was beautiful. And that was good. Damn. All right. So um, he's got a, he gets a bad reputation wherever he goes. I wonder why. It just keeps popping up. Like, it'll start, it'll start the sentence uh, on Wikipedia, for example. Like, <laughs> Wyatt Earp then moved to L.A. and developed a bad reputation very quickly. It's like, I wonder why. So yeah, for a while he just sort of jets around all over the, the western United States trying to find good gold mines to invest in and scam people at. Um, he gets involved in what's called the Dodge City War, which was a war in which no one fired a single shot. No one cares. Then he got back to the whole mining thing and opens up a saloon in Idaho called the White Elephant. And he gets a job as a deputy sheriff again and gets into real estate fraud until the town dies out because of corruption. <laughs> Wow, it's it's good. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is this has gone from like bad but exciting to just kind of bad and depressing. It's kind of funny, I think, uh, how how dumb it is. It's just I I'll do anything for money as long as I can lie. So he's on his way to San Diego for about four years, where he does what? He buys saloons and does the old Wyatt Earp, runs brothels on the second floor. And he's getting filthy rich at this point. Like, it's not even funny how rich this guy is getting. It's to a point where in 1889, he's investing in racehorses, which is sort of like investing in sports cars. <laughs> but this boom in San Diego can't last forever. Uh, over the course of uh, Wyatt Earp's involvement with San Diego, the population goes from like 60,000 to 14,000. People just moving out like, fuck this. Like, this place is corrupt as balls. <laughs> So when that when that city when he's had his way with that city and he's sucked as much money out of it as he can, Wyatt and his wife go back to San Francisco where he developed a reputation as a dishonest gambler. <laughs> Say it isn't so. In 1892, Wyatt Earp finally married Josephine on a wealthy millionaire's yacht off the coast of California, um, and she's a, she's a real piece of work for sure. Um, one time, Earp gave her an oil well for, and uh, with the filing fees necessary to put the oil well in her name. She gambled away the fees, and the, ba the lease basically went missing. Wow. And she never, she didn't lie to... They really, des never tell they really deserve each other, don't they? They really fucking do. It's hilarious. Um, and people, part of the reason that Wyatt Earp got a bad reputation was because he was with Josephine. Um, Wyatt wrote that she was always griping about how he didn't work enough and didn't make enough money. <laughs> the guy was like literally a millionaire and she was like, you're not working hard. You're not making enough money. And he's like, I am doing my best. 
Um, so he would go on these really long and aimless walks around wherever he was living just to avoid her sometimes. Wow, these are like proto-boomers. I know. They were also constantly cheating on each other, too. So that's healthy. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So uh, Wyatt also got a... Uh, he did. He often worked as a boxing ref. And okay, this is, the, this is the first good thing I've heard. No, uh, he finally got caught in a scam where he has discovered that he was fixing fights. Damn it. This did not help his reputation. I was so excited for the top 10 anime redemption arc. Yeah, he doesn't have one. He is all gone. Um, so during the Klondike Gold Rush, the Earps rented a cabin in Alaska to look for gold and also to scam people. He got a job as what? A town mar- marshal, but he only lasted 10 days. Because uh, Sadie or Josephine or whatever got pregnant and later the baby would miscarry. They, she had like three miscarriages throughout her life. Um, but uh, yeah, the, he yeah only, only stays town marshal for 10 days. And then they resettle in St. Michael, Alaska, where Wyatt become, manages a drugstore. But that only lasts until some moron tells him earning a small income is for pussies. And that the real action is in the big city. And pr- presumably Josephine was also saying this to him. Uh, like, you're not making enough money, and I don't want to be the wife of a drugstore manager. So he goes to Nome and does what? Take- brothels. Yep, brothels. He builds a saloon and runs a brothel on the second floor. <laughs> uh, and this one was big. This was like the big brothel. Uh, the second floor, all the rooms were painted different colors, and the girls who were in them were required to match those colors in their clothing. Super weird. Um, Okay, yeah, that's... Sort of weird, twisted theme park. Yeah, yeah, the Erpstein thing is actually starting to stick because you know he <laughs> he was known for having underage prostitutes and stuff like that. Um, you know, just he literally had a common law wife who was an underage prostitute. So, I mean, haven't we all at some point? Uh, we should title this this ep- this episode Wyatt Erpstein. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh. Yeah, he was arrested once in, once in town for being drunk and disorderly, even though Josephine told his biographies that he never drank, never touched the liquor, never once. Okay. Yeah. So after a while, he does what he does best. He moves to Seattle and opens another saloon and runs a brothel on the second floor. But he runs into trouble with the law because gambling is actually illegal in Washington, or, or at least Seattle. Um, and uh, so he, like... Yeah, like, joins this coalition of gamblers, and they're like, ah, oh, we're gonna build our saloons and gamble here anyway. And eventually they lost, so the uh, the uh, saloons were seized by the government and burned to the ground. <laughs> so wow. I think that's something we can all be happy about. I really want, like, a crossover of Judge Dredd coming to deal with the, the wider problem. Yeah. Um, I'm the law. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. So Wyatt Earp goes back to Nome to run his mega nice saloon again, and he makes bank. He brings with him uh, all this fancy shit from the states uh, to basically make the place like really attractive. He brings in like mirrors and fancy lighters and you know shit like that. You know the, all the baubles that get people like going, "Oh, this place is so cool." It's like you know it's the club scene is what it is. He brought in his laser show and smoke machines. Um, and his, uh, his silent rave party with, you know, with the Bluetooth headphones or whatever, where everybody's raving, but nobody can hear anything. Um, you ever seen one of those? Wait, is that, that's a thing? That's a thing. It might have been a fad, but it was definitely a thing last year. 
What the hell is wrong with millennials? I, I don't know, man. We're we're fucked. Um, so yeah, uh, he he's making money in, in Gnome, and he turns the management over to somebody else. You know, still collecting royalties and all that stuff, but whatever. You know, it's it's a money making business, and now he can do whatever he wants. So in 1901, the Earps moved to Nevada, where more gold and silver uh, is being discovered. Earp opens up a saloon, serves as town marshal, and then moves away to Goldfield, Nevada. Lives there for eight years with his brother Virgil. And then he goes back to Los Angeles. He's 62, and it's 1910. So, <laughs> where does that leave us? It leaves us in L.A., where he gets a job. At the L.A. Police Department. Literally to do illegal things on behalf of the police. That was, Ooh, look, what kind of things? Like, bring in uh, criminals from Mexico. Hey, I mean, that's better than like some of the illegal things he could be doing for the police. That's true. I mean, there was other other stuff that wasn't obviously recorded because it was all under wraps, you know. Um, so in 1911, he was arrested for vagrancy, hilariously enough. Um, but hey, he's in L.A. <laughs> you know. Uh, besides that, guess what happens in L.A.? Homelessness. Yes, movies! So what does he do? He gets in bed with the guys making the cowboy movies to set the record straight about his reputation. He works with a guy named John Flood to write up the story. And here's what that looks like. John Flood basically sits in a room with Wyatt Earp while Wyatt Earp drinks whiskey and smokes cigars. And Wyatt Earp just tells stories about his, his time as a, as a cowboy hunter. Getting drunk. And guess who else is there? Josephine, sitting right there modifying things as they go along. She said the story needed to have a lot of pep, um, which just meant she wanted them to use the word CRACK in all caps a lot. So like during gunfights, CRACK. There are 109 uh, uses of the word CRACK throughout the manuscript, which wasn't that long. Wow. Yeah. Some, she was, thing, some, some things never change. There are more than 109 uses of CRACK in L.A. Every, yeah. <laughs> you know, ten, ten minutes these days. Yeah. So, Josephine also wanted the book to be clean, as she called it. She didn't want any bad things about Wyatt Earp going into this book. She wanted it to be uh, just the clean story. She wanted to modify the narrative to be exactly, exactly what she wanted it to be. They made up an entire story about Earp saving a pair of women, one of them, of course, being handicapped from a fire. <laughs> and it's, it's just it's so ludicrous. Was there a puppy, too? Yeah. There was a little doggo that he said, oh my god. Okay, Reddit crowds coming in here. <laughs> Puppers. Puppers. <laughs> uh, but the bill was coming on this one. Um, the book, being awful, never found a publisher. Feedback from publishers was basically all the same. They hated the writing style. Um, they thought the, the it, was, it was literally written by a moron. Um, and they hated the arrogance of it. It was almost literally Wyatt Earp whacking off to a made-up story about his awfully stupid life and touting this moron as a hero. Wow, it sounds like he's ready for a job in academia. I was going to say. <laughs> Didn't you have some class where the professor made you buy some like shitty fiction book he'd written? Yeah, I did. It was like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, it was like a chemistry class. Uh, he was like... If you buy my book, you'll pass the test. And it's a fun way to learn how to pass the class. It has everything you need to pass every test. So I Wasn't bought it. Wasn't it like a romance novel? Yeah, it was a romance novel. It was so <laughs> creepy. What was his name? Dr. Uh, Dr. I don't remember. It's kind of weird. He was a weird dude. But he did get me to read Napoleon's Buttons, which is a great book about chemistry and history. Like Napoleon's uh, yes. Buttons. Every... 
mushroom cloud has a silver lining. That's true. Um, yeah, oh, wait, more... that's just the strontium nine. <laughs> um, I think I, I think I mentioned Napoleon's buttons years ago, maybe like two years ago when we first started the podcast. But basically, the title of that book is based on a the chemical makeup of the stuff used in uh, Napoleon's soldiers' uh, buttons on the uh, Russian front uh, was such that uh, the cold would make them shatter, and so the guy so like and and, and like break so like M16s in Vietnam or whatever, um, and. Uh, basically, like they were called the ragmen because they just they had their clothes wrapped about them like rags because they had no way to you know button their clothes up, and they all died. So that's sad. Anyway, so everyone saw through this book. Uh, it was completely delusional, uh, and uh, made and it was made up by a guy and his dumb wife to just suck themselves off over a life they never lived. Literally, a pimp making himself out to be a hero in a book and thinking he's doing the right thing. So this delusional behavior was also reported outside of the writing scene uh, by friends who hung out with the Earps and Josephine. Every time he would try to s tell a story, she would interrupt him literally to change things and make it look like Earp was always the good guy. So he'd be like, yeah, man, I, I, I shot those boys. It wasn't pretty, but she, she would go, oh, no, man, they had machine guns, and they were just raining down fire, and all Wyatt Earp had was a broken balsa wood model plane and, like, a can of, of Play-Doh, and he fought them off and beat them even though they had machine guns. Like, that's the amount of exaggeration we're talking about in these stories. So Wow. That, yeah. That's amazing. And I'm actually kind of starting to feel sorry for, like, Wyatt Earp going into his, like, you know, aged senility with just this, like, absolutely awful woman yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who literally won't even let him tell the stories of his own life the way yeah. he wants to. And wow. he's, like, he's like going senile and he's starting to believe it. Like, I, uh, I was a magnificent cowboy who saved all the cowgirls from fires. Wow. Wow. I was so good. Just dying. His wife's like, yes, you were a great cowboy. He's like, I'm a cowboy. Wow, that is and, that is really something. Yeah. In the meantime, in the meantime, it's just gonna um, <laughs> take my horse to the down the old town road. Gonna ride. <laughs> That's just echoing in the background. <laughs> He's just like <laughs> staring into the distance. You know, the happy, warm smile on his face. Not remembering that he was an awful pimp who sold children to have sex with uh, wealthy people. Oh, by the way, another Erpstein crossover here. What the hell was that? Yeah, so I, I was writing this and I'm like, where's Wyatt Earp's bill? Where's Wyatt Earp's bill? Um, I think it was his wife. <laughs> That's, it's looking like that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so another Erpstein crossover um, was that the, uh, the, um, the uh, brothel in Nome quickly became a, 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 a elitist hangout. Like friggin' Jack London went there. Um, oh wow! All, yeah, they became friends. Uh, Jack London was there. Uh, a whole bunch of other people. Just like all these elitists coming in to go to this brothel where he sold children. So that's Erpstein for you. Let's see here. So in 1929, Wyatt Earp was the only Earp still Earping around. He outlived all his brothers, never had any kids. 
And he also outlived everyone who was shot or who was in the shootout at the OK Corral, mostly because he killed most of them. <laughs> but it was time for him to go up to that great big wagon wheel in the sky. He died in 1929 at 80 years old, having witnessed World War I and running an elitist brothel all at once. So his legacy uh, large, is largely dried up. His book was never published, but there were other biographies um, that were like, Wyatt Earp was so cool! And like, over the years, people started to be like, no, he was actually a total douche, and we have more evidence that he was a douche than that he was cool. And the modern view of him historically is that basically, if you think Wyatt Earp was anything but a, uh, a, uh, a sex slave owning, uh, you know, uh, pimp, uh, you're basically stupid if you think anything other than that. Sounds like a conspiracy theory. I know, but it's it's not. It's just history. Damn it! Let me have something. Uh, yeah. So his legacy did largely dry up. Most people know the phrase "shootout at the OK Corral," but very few have heard of Wyatt Earp, and that's a good thing. Tremors. What was the last uh, the last movie that had Wyatt Earp in it? Because there was that Tombstone movie from what, like ten years ago. It's interesting how wrapped up he was in Hollywood too. Um, and that's where it gets all conspiratorial again, um, is, uh, he was like, you know, really into cowboy movies. They were consulting him for stuff. And he was like always kind of behind the scenes at all the parties and things. Yeah. He was always at the parties and things and people would be like, who's that over there? And he's like, oh, that's Wyatt Earp. Um, like he came to a party where he met Charlie Chaplin and Charlie Chaplin was like, oh, I just, I've just met Charlie, or, uh, Wyatt Earp and what a great man. But, you know, if you're at parties with a guy like Charlie Chaplin, who literally raped a girl, got her pregnant, and then hid it from the world, um, you know, you're rubbing elbows with the other guys. You're rubbing elbows with the guy who, um, oh my god, I'm not even gonna get it. Like, uh, Fatty Arbuckle. He, uh, he raped a girl to death. Like, he was friends with Charlie Chaplin, I think. Fatty Arbuckle, let's look. Let's get real conspiratorial. So what you're saying is that, uh, things haven't exactly changed in Hollywood. No, no, I keep, I tell people this, like, the whole conspiracy theory thing about Hollywood, present-day Hollywood, is literally Hollywood's written history. Like, you look at it now and you're like, you're like, Chris Evans might be a serial rapist or something like that. Everyone's like, you're crazy. And then you look at Fatty Arbuckle and he had this massive career, um, contract with Paramount Pictures, all the rest, um, who killed a woman. Um, well, I mean, just, you know, just look at how many people absolutely had to know about Harvey Weinstein. Oh, yeah. Like, everyone knew. Yeah. Everyone knew. The casting couch is, is, is a thing of the past. People... No, I mean, the fact that there's literally, you know, you can watch stand-up from the past 20 years that literally reference this kind of stuff. That's yeah. the... Yeah, it's like when people act like, oh, this is so terrible. How did we let this slip under the radar it's like you're being disingenuous everyone knew you knew yeah. everyone you knew did. and everyone didn't care yeah same way that apparently hollywood was a hundred you know almost a hundred years ago yeah it's uh it's it what's frustrating about it is like you say this kind of stuff and it's like they're like you're a conspiracy theorist i, I don't care anymore like everyone was calling me a conspiracy theorist about the whole jeffrey epstein thing I wasn't even talking about it that much. I was just like, I think that island is kind of weird. And people were like, you're crazy. And then next, the next day, everyone's like, oh my god, Aaron was right. And I was just like, fuck it. Just fuck it. And, you know, the history of Hollywood, it does not surprise me that a guy like Wyatt Earp was um, employed in the industry 
and then was uh, propped up as this cultural hero. Um, like, if you look at the cover of the Wyatt Earp movie, uh, it's it's like a cowboy movie. He's, like, firing a gun, and the wind's blowing his duster around, and it's the the tagline is the epic story of love and adventure in a lawless and lawless is a lawless lane. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. So it sounds like um, there's kind of a a devil's bargain here, where he granted sort of a level of authenticity or legitimacy to the Hollywood types who you know he consulted with and worked with and stuff and you know added an air of you know, reliability to their their narratives and depictions of things because they they had you know the quote unquote real deal with them while they kind of essentially whitewashed him and gave him cover for being an actual terrible human being that's how it works though um it's like that uh that movie patch adams right like they completely changed the story about this guy and he was like really upset about it or something and they were like sorry this is a better story uh it's like josephine <laughs> you know it's like they're doing it they're doing it to, to history all the time um let's what's another historical movie that we can think of oh yeah lincoln did you ever see that i didn't see it now it, I saw the beginning. They literally portray him as like the wax figure Lincoln at the museum, not like a president who like dealt with one of the biggest wars America ever had. Um, he was, anyway. So, but they they make these these cultural heroes, these cultural icons. And while I get why that's necessary t- sometimes, making a cultural hero out of Wyatt Earp is just straight up wrong. You know, if you say. Benjamin Franklin, that's a cultural hero. He is. And you, when you go and you read about him, you're like, holy shit, he was a really good guy. He was doing some weird sex stuff, but who wasn't? <laughs> he was a Freemason, but who wasn't? He still, like, had a good ethic. Um, <laughs> Based syphilitic Pennsylvanian. <laughs> uh, wait, what? Based syphilitic <laughs> Pennsylvanian? <laughs> you heard me. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Didn't, he, didn't he have syphilis? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I'm gonna write based syphilis syphilitic. <laughs> I thought he had syphilis. Maybe I just made that. Up. <laughs> I thought he did. <laughs> I think that was. I think that was a rumor, but I wouldn't be surprised because he was known for visiting brothels and things. Um, and he like pulled that back later in life and like was like that was immoral and I shouldn't have done that. I, I don't know. I just really like Benjamin Franklin. A lot. Yeah, no, I've, I, I I like some things about about old Ben. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even if he did found the University of Pennsylvania. Oh, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, let's see. Um, Culture heroes. I'm trying to think of more that have been, like, modified. Oh, well, Ray Kroc, they at least treated partially fairly. I don't know why, but, you know, they treated him like the asshole he was. Um, or maybe he wasn't that much of an asshole. Maybe that's maybe that's the opposite case, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, propaganda goes both ways. That's true. It's black and white propaganda. So uh, anyway, that's how uh, that's how Wyatt Earp actually be, and the uh, the Hollywood version, the cowboy version, is all uh, all wrong, and that happens all the time, and it's not a conspiracy theorist theory for believing it. Uh, I mean, honestly, uh, I just hate that term in the first place, conspiracy theory. Yeah, what should we replace it with? It's a good question because it's a it's one of those terms that. It's not neutral. It's a very loaded term. It's a term that's already designed to delegitimize whoever you're, you're using it to uh, describe. 
No, I don't know. It's a good question of what to use instead, but it's definitely a term that I personally try not to use because I know how it's it is, you know, totally weaponized by people who have the ability to, con you know, to control mass communications. That's why I that's why I love doing this show is you know, we went into Winston Churchill and we were kind of like, ah, he's, he's okay. We know he did some bad things, but we came out of it being like, what a fucking asshole. Um, and then we, uh, we covered other guys who, like, I thought I was going to like. And then, it, like, Wyatt Earp, when I put him on the list, I was like, that's a cowboy I've heard of. I bet, I bet it'd get a lot of clicks. And then I started reading about it. I'm like, what the hell is this guy? Because I'd never heard any of this before. Um... But yeah, that uh, that whole uh, Erpstein thing—that's funny. That's basically what he was back in the day. Yeah, yeah, no, I really didn't know any of this until um, until you started telling me about it. I pretty much knew he was depicted in a couple movies. You know, I just kind of assumed he was one of these, you know, sort of morally gray, like pretty much everyone, you know, is, especially in a place like the Old West. Um, but I had no idea he was just such a like absolute scumbag which just goes to show yeah. that you know like you are not immune to propaganda you may not even think yeah. it's propaganda but what you you know ingest in terms of media and culture and entertainment doesn't necessarily give you a, an, a, an accurate view of things and it's not like they even actually have to sort of hide the truth like you can literally find out the truth about a lot of these things by just reading some basic sources but the fact is that most people don't yeah. And so propaganda is really, really easy to do in a, you know, completely information and media oriented culture like ours. Yeah. Um, it's it's getting harder to do it, too, because people are getting more and more ferocious about when you attack a cultural hero. You're, not even attack. When you, you find out the truth about a cultural hero. Um, did I tell you? I know I told you this, but uh, so like I had lunch with uh, with a guy. And I won't say his name because he doesn't, he doesn't, I don't want him to know. But he was a pastor to uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's wife. Did I tell you this? You, you told me exactly that much. That's all you said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so her, her whole thing, he's like, she told him like one-on-one, -on -one, she was like, he was involved in this. Okay. We're just going full conspiracy talk now. But she told him, she's like, he was involved, but here's how it worked. Like, they found him, found out he was radical, and they said, hey, like, we know about you. Uh, we know you're really into this and you get it. Like, we're going to try to start a coup to take down the United States president and the government. And we are, we are the, we're the big government. We're the guys who can do it. And we want you to help us. And he was like, yes, I want to kill Kennedy. I want to, I want to be involved in that. And they were like, yeah, you don't even, you don't even have to pull the trigger. You just have to be there, right? You just have to be there. And so he goes to the office and he's eating lunch and gunshots go off. And just like we covered in our Lee Harvey Oswald episode, um, he was like stunned. He was like, what the hell just happened? But anyway, so uh, my dude that I had lunch with was like telling me all that. And I said, well, what what did you see? And he said, well, I, I was at, I saw the I was at the um, I was at the theater when they were hauling him away. The, where they arrested Lee Harvey Oswald. He went downtown because they canceled school. He was going to go see a movie. And so he went to the theater where Lee Harvey Oswald was. And basically what happened with that story when we covered him um, is the re one report is that Lee Harvey Oswald ran from the building uh, and went home to get like a jacket, um, which presumably had a pistol or something in it, I think. I don't remember. I, either way, I don't remember. But his landlady saw him and he was like in a panic. 
Um, because basically he was the fall guy. Uh, but anyway, so I heard that and I was like, huh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like he, he just thought he was some super woke, uh, revolutionary. And then they were like, nope, actually you're fucked. No, those are often the easiest people to manipulate are mm-hmm. super woke revolutionaries. Now there are, you know, I, I won't get into it, but there are more questions than answers. And I think it's much the answers are much wider than just U.S. politics. It has to do with, yeah. you know, ties into Cold War stuff, nuclearization of various countries. There's a, there's a lot going on there. And it's kind of one, a little bit concerning how if you talk about it in a mainstream circle, you're immediately dis- dismissed with that pejorative conspiracy theorist. And that's what I don't like. Okay, maybe it happens exactly like the government says it does. Okay, if that's so obvious and so clear and so indisputable, why can't you talk about it and be taken seriously? It's, I think people people are too credulous. That's that's all I'll say. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I went through that that stage recently before James left, where I was getting into conspiracy theories and stuff because it was just it was just too interesting to look away because it, it like I was like this actually feels like something that could totally happen. Um, I mean, just I'm trying to remember when you just look and I I, and I remember James specifically talked about this when you look at like how many things were regarded as conspiracy theories that later later turned out to be true. That should give anybody pause. Yeah, like the whole Frank. Go listen to the Frank Church episode. That was before I started getting, you know, into it. And, you know, James was just listing the number of things that the CIA was up to. Hashtag MK Ultra. Yeah, that Frank Frank Church revealed and. Um, you know, that guy was, a, that guy's a freaking hero. Um, but, uh, holy shit. I was just checking if, uh, <laughs> if Wyatt Earp was in the Bohemian Club. Um, wouldn't that be funny? That would be something. Um, yeah, there's a, I found one conspiracy theorist, uh, Wyatt Earp, Secret Society, where he has the all-seeing eye. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, uh. I'll send you a link so you can look at it. Wow, this this looks like some this looks like some real shit. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna bookmark this for my <laughs> for my bed bedtime reading. <laughs> look, they even at the bottom of the article they even put the uh, the lie about Wyatt burning down his house. He sold his house. He didn't burn it. Jesus, dumb people. Um. I like all the pictures. I like just all the pictures with red arrows pointing to eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. This whole website's about this whole thing. The- whoa. 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 This is weird, dude. Yeah, this, this is... Some- I'm not entirely sure what I'm looking at here. It seems to be some sort of connection between everyone in the old west because they all had weird looking eyes i'm and strange names well we already covered that yeah Yeah, but that that's i don't know oh man oh dear oh god oh fuck yeah i'm just gonna pull out old reliable and say that this is a psyop by the cia to make people who question official narratives look crazy there we go base is covered Yep, we're good. <laughs> um, yeah, so Wyatt Earp, total asshole, and a cultural a cultural villain should be. 
Um, but I think that's all I have to say about about him. So if you're done with this analysis, show, do you think we should uh, head on up to the surface? I think we're just about ready. We've learned some really important lessons. Uh, don't trust the government. Don't trust the government. Don't trust those agents who use force to fulfill the wishes of the government. And also don't trust Wells Fargo. Remember that, kids. Yeah. Or Wyatt Earp, if you ever see him, because he's probably still alive. Oh, God. It's a clone. It was a body double. The clone of Wyatt Earp listens to we talk about dead people and we cover him one day and he goes, what? <laughs> and his weird eye starts glowing, goes on the hunt. Yeah. Throws his phone through the window. Those fuckers gotta pay. Uh, well, let's go up to the surface and face uh, the clone of Wyatt Earp. And finally be done with the day. Doubtless already waiting for you. All right, great. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget me. I'm on the table. All right. <laughs> so, George... Oh, you remembered my name. Yeah. What are you going to do for the rest of the day? I know. I'm just the sweetest. What are you going to do for the rest of the day? I'm going to vacuum out my car and um, probably pack an overnight bag so I can leave at a moment's notice if Wyatt Earp shows up to kill me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's a a good plan. Just make that bug out bag. Make sure not to pack any guns uh, or he will definitely shoot you. well, actually, he'll definitely shoot you. Shoot you anyway, so you might as well. Yeah, that's true. Might as well pack a gun. But nothing's going to kill the clone of Wyatt Earp. I'm sorry. He's he's too tall. <laughs> uh. What about you, Aaron? What are you doing for the rest of the evening? Oh, I'm probably going to invade Nome, Alaska with my male subscribers. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um. Well... I think it's uh, it's time to bring the show to an end for today. If you hate us, you're probably right. So consider funding the show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com. Or if Patreon is not your thing, drop us a little tip in Venmo. That's at WTADP. Uh, everything goes toward funding the show. Make it a fly. Um, we're not getting rich off of this, but everybody who contributes is loved dearly. Our cover art was created by Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his wonderfully whimsical work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of the ghost of Wyatt Earp uh, running a brothel play you out. Oh, hey, before I do that, actually, I actually know an Earp. Zachary Earp. He's a loyal listener to this show. And Zachary Arp, this is not to shit on your family name. I promise. I hold nothing against you. And it was funny that you commented and said something about being an Arp and hoping that it doesn't, like, I don't know. Anyway, I told you to give a shout out, so there you go. All right, bye. Not now for the sons of a nation's wrongs, not the groans of starving labor. Let the rifle ring and the bullet sing to the clash of the flashing saber. There are 